Awesome. Hey, did you guys, uh, did you remember the psalm? The psalm today began, clap, and I just, I just thought, I wonder if anybody would actually break out clapping when the psalm called us to clap. Awesome. Clap to God. And then it also talked about singing with our skillful voices, and I thought of our musicians and such skill and enthusiasm for praising God. I think we should read that psalm again later. Do you know the story about the bricklayer? So the bricklayer was in an accident. He had to fill out a report. And I think this is actually in a report in Britain. And uh, he said that he uh, was building a brick. It was a six-story building. And when he finished the bricklaying, he was at the top of the building. And he had a bunch of bricks left over. And he didn't want to be bothered walking them all the way down. That's probably before the elevator was working. Didn't want to walk all the way down. And so he decided he'd lower them down with a pulley and a barrel. So he got a barrel up there. And then he got the rope and he walked down and tied it off. And then he had the the barrel suspended and he put in, it was about 200 pounds of brick. And so he goes down and and, uh, he casts, he unties the knot, holds on tight to the rope because he wants to lower it down gradually. But he only weighs 150 pounds. And so he starts going up and the bricks start coming down. He meets them at the third floor, bashes into them, keeps his hands on the rope and gets to the top. And with such speed as hands are kind of jammed into the pulley, but he's hanging on to it. But at the same time, his hands jammed in the pulley. The barrel hit the bottom, hit the floor, and burst the bottom out. So now it doesn't have any bricks. So he's heading back down, and the barrel's coming up, and he beats it again, and he falls all the way and lands on the pile of bricks. And the last thing he remembers is he's let go of the rope and sees the barrel coming straight for him. (laughs) I thought that was a good story for Ascension, because there's a lot of going up and coming down at this time of year in our celebration of the ascension. Not only Jesus ascending, but when he uh, died on the cross, our belief is that he descended, as it says in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, that he uh, descended into the lower parts of the earth. We believe he went down to burst open the gates of hell so that anyone could leave, and that he then ascended victorious in the resurrection. And now he's ascending, and in a week's time we'll celebrate the Holy Spirit descending upon us for us. So we have the ascension. What do we make of it? As I said, it's on a Thursday. Most people forget it. I forgot it for most of Thursday. I thought, oh yeah, today's the ascension, isn't it? It's one of those ones that goes under the radar. In the uh, proof of the resurrection was that people saw it. But the proof of the ascension is what? There's nothing there because he's gone. So it's an absence. Theologian James Dunn describes the ascension as at best a puzzle and at worst an embarrassment. But in the New Testament, there's no alternative explanation of where Jesus is. They're all unanimous in their voice that Jesus ascended and is with God in the heavens. Now, we know it's not a three-tier universe. We, we believe that if we kept going straight up in a rocket ship, we wouldn't meet God. But it's not a, he's not above us, but beyond us. It's like another dimension. And what's he doing up there? Uh, Paul says in Romans that he's up there at the right hand of God, interceding for us. And it says in Hebrews, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, a mere copy of the true one, but he entered heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. So that's what he's doing. But our normal celebration of the church year kind of centers around the physical appearance of Jesus. 
So we have the two main feasts are Christmas and Easter. And I think of the church year as kind of an elliptical circle around those two foci, which I think is the pearl of focus. So two focuses. So we, and each season, each one of those foci have a period of preparation, celebration, and then application. So we begin with preparation for Christmas. We celebrate it for 12 days, and then we apply it in the season of Epiphany. Then the next day is Lent, is Ash Wednesday, and Lent is the preparation for Easter. We celebrate it for 50 days, and then we put it into practice or apply it during the season of Pentecost, which brings us right back to Advent. And so they really, our church year is about the physical appearance of Jesus as a human amongst us. But what if it started, starts earlier? Because he was actually physically with us in an unseen way for nine months. The Annunciation announces the conception of God in the womb of Mary. And for nine months, he's there and we don't see him. And then we come to the Ascension where, again, we don't see him. And it's very much like us because we're followers of Jesus, but we don't see him. In the year 500, I think I may have mentioned to you, someone, a young monk from Scythia, from unknown part of the world, unknown person named Dionysius the Insignificant, went to the Pope and said he thought there should be a new calendar because Diocletian, the Roman emperor famous for his persecution and uh, brutality and savagery, uh, he had designed a calendar starting with his enthronement. That would be the day of New Year's. And so that was in the, three, in the 200s, and so Dionysius in the 500 went to the Pope and said, let's change it. Let's have the calendar focus around Jesus, God coming into our midst. And so that would be the new calendar. And that's the calendar we still have. Thank you, Dionysius. But he put New Year's Day, not on January 1st, but he put New Year's Day, does anybody know when New Year's Day was back then? For it was this New Year's Day for a thousand years was March 25th. It was date of the Annunciation, the Annunciation of God coming into our world in the tiny form in Mary's womb. And so that was the Annunciation, unseen, unbeholden. Jesus was enthroned and ascended into heaven that we might one day go there to be with him, that we might receive his help as he prays for us and helps us. He's still real. He hasn't left us. He's taken on a new role, a new job, what he was marked out for, the enthronement of Jesus as king. We were at uh, Upper School Chapel a couple of months ago, and in walks the Archbishop of Rwanda. That was really a wonderful thing. He's a lovely man. Um, and he began life in a refugee camp, barefoot, and has this wonderful story of just tenacity and seeing God's hand in his life. And now he's the Archbishop of Rwanda. And he came in kind of, well, we did know about the day before. He was a friend of one of our moms. But just to see that the, the things that he could do as Archbishop that he couldn't do as a refugee or as a priest or even as a bishop. He has now great ability to effect change. They started a school, they started a college, and this year they're starting a seminary. So we're going to try to stay in touch with the starting of our high school and the starting of their seminary. 
And so in the same way, Jesus is very real but different. He is the king. But let's look at chapter 24. I thought this was interesting as I was reading it. If you look in the gospel reading today, in verse 45, it says, Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. At the end of the gospel of Mark and the beginning of Acts, which has a lot of overlap, it's interesting, the same writer really wants to emphasize this. What's he talking to them about? He's talking to them about the kingdom, but he's talking to them about the scriptures and how he fulfilled Moses and the prophets and the Psalms specifically. When he goes and walks with the um, people on the way to Emmaus, he begins to open up the scriptures. And in, uh, earlier, so in chapter 24, it talks about he opens the scriptures to them, and then here it opens us to the scriptures. This mutual opening up so that we can understand, so that we can appreciate what's going on and how to live our lives. And earlier on, even when he met the disciples, it says in verse 27, which isn't in our bulletin, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And I think what, what I got out of this is that, yes, Jesus is the right hand of God interceding for us. And he's sending the Holy Spirit to help us, which we celebrate next Sunday at Pentecost. But part of our responsibility then is to uh, dig into the scriptures to see what, how he wants us to live. He's interceding for us, but he has given us the scriptures. So where is Jesus? Yes, he's at the right hand of the Father. But I believe he also lives in the scriptures. In the Ephesians passage we read, Paul says, I pray that you might know the riches of his grace, etc., etc. Well, how would... How does he see that prayer coming true? I think it's in digging into the scriptures, being people of the book, understanding it and questioning it and reading it with a critical mind and getting into Bible study and finding time over the summer maybe to choose one book. And I think what, and to dig into that one book and read it a couple of times, I find that I get much more out of a book of the Bible the second time through. Take one chapter, take one person. Take one theme. But I really encourage you to do something over the summer when we tend to have a bit more time and to dig into Scripture and ask God and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our hearts, to help us to question. One of the great things about the Episcopal Church, I think, is that we're expected to engage our mind. Yes, we have faith, we, but we're not gullible. We're not naive. We want to have faith, but we also want to use our mind and think about the Scripture and read the Scripture. It will not detract from your faith. It will augment your understanding of the world and all around us and even science. And so I love this passage then in the celebration of the ascension. Yes, Jesus has gone, and he's in his rightful place as king. He's enthroned, and as a king, he's praying and interceding for us. But he's also, I think, expecting us to be taking the scriptures where, he, where there's a record of what he said and what he did and how it was a fulfillment of the Old Testament. So I encourage you this summer to, uh, to think of something that you could do that would be fun, that would be enlightening, that would be helpful. And if you need help, there's lots of people around that could, could help you. I would love to help you, Father Price, Father Bates, when he gets back. We all love reading the scripture and digging in. And it's really fun when the three of us get together we'll often comment about something we saw we hadn't noticed before and have this uh, wonderful, lively discussion about it. 
So may God bless us this, in this celebration of the ascension. Give thanks to God that Jesus is where he's supposed to be, that he's sending the Holy Spirit, and that we, his church, will soldier on uh, to make this world a better place. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.